Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Diversion Podcasts. I really thought to myself about the future. And, you know, I, I always came up with the same conclusion that I always wanted to be famous when I was little. I always wanted to be a great basketball player. And when you work hard and you achieve something and you set a goal, my goal is to be a great basketball player and to be famous, then you can expect that. You, know, you can't be on TV all the time and not expect people to know who you are and come to you and ask you for autographs. So I, I accept it. I accept it. And I saw it. Plus, if I was a little kid and I, I looked up to somebody and I, I wanted their autograph, I went up and asked them for an autograph, and they said no, I'd be crushed. So if somebody comes up to me and asks for an autograph, I'm, I'm out going, I say sure. In the summer of 1995, the head coach and general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers was a man named John Lucas. Lucas had spent a star-crossed 14 years in the NBA as a quick, left-handed, and troubled point guard. A drug and alcohol addiction had nearly ruined his career. But he had turned his life around, and as a coach, he had a bit of a Pollyanna view of players. He always saw the very, very best in them, always believed they would reach their highest potential. He was a dreamer. He just wasn't a particularly good NBA coach. During the 1994-1995 season, the Sixers won 24 games under Lucas and lost 58. Here, they blew a 21-point lead in a gut-wrenching loss to Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns in front of their home crowd in Philly. Final score, the Suns setting a franchise record with their ninth straight victory and they do it in a most improbable way and John Lucas will ruminate about this one Phoenix 108 76ers 107 one night in March of 1995 John Lucas attended a Lower Marion High School playoff game with his family at the Palestra It wasn't that surprising for Lucas to attend the game. After all, his daughter Tarvia was a junior at Lower Marion. But just as Lucas stepped into the arena, something did surprise him. He ran into a guy who he had played against dozens of times in the NBA. He ran into Joe Bryant. John Lucas had heard of Kobe Bryant, but he didn't know that Kobe was Joe's son. So after Lucas watched Lower Marion win, After he watched Kobe score 26 points in just 27 minutes of action, he got an idea. Back then, it was common for pro and college players to work out, scrimmage, and play pickup games together during the NBA offseason, kind of like an unofficial summer league. Lucas was so impressed with Kobe that he thought the Sixers might be able to draft him the following year. So he called up the Bryants and asked if Kobe wanted to work out with the team that summer full-court games at the Fieldhouse at St. Joseph's University and at nearby Episcopal Academy. Several of the Sixers players would be there, including power forward Sharon Wright 
and the team's seven-foot, six-inch center, Sean Bradley. Kobe, of course, said yes. Then, Lucas called his old backcourt mate and buddy from the University of Maryland, Mo Howard, Joe's old friend from high school. Lucas gave Howard an assignment. It was his job to oversee these scrimmages and to make sure that Kobe played in as many of them as he wanted. Mo Howard still lives in Philadelphia, and he's still a big name in basketball around the city. He gets asked about that summer of 95 a lot, but he never minds talking about it. He was there each day to see the turning point in Kobe Bryant's basketball career and in his life. Finally, describe what you saw from Kobe during that summer of 1995 when John Lucas had you running those scrimmages at St. Joe's in Episcopal. Wow. Wow. I'm Mike Sealski. And from Diversion Podcasts, this is I Am Kobe. I love Watch me, watch me, create myself. Track like, time's up, create yourself. Lay nice, go hard, create yourself. Gotta learn from the great minds. No, we ain't lying, tell them that it's game time. Episode 6, The Summer of 95. Mo Howard had played with and against Kobe in Sunday morning pickup games at a YMCA in Center City, Philadelphia, back when Kobe was just 13 years old. He knew how good the kid was. At least, he thought he knew. He would play in those games, and like he more than held his own. But to play against the pros at the level that he did was really surprising. True story. So we're sitting there. It's Maurice Cheeks, myself, and Harold Katz. Just for the record, Maurice Cheeks was a Hall of Fame point guard who spent 11 of his 15 NBA seasons with the Sixers. In the summer of 1995, he was one of their assistant coaches. And Harold Katz was the team's owner and a total basketball junkie. He would stay up late to watch NBA games, then quiz his executives and coaches about players around the league. And Harold Katz is watching guys scrimmage and he says about Kobe, where is he from? And Maurice Cheek says, Laura Marion. And Harold Katz says to Maurice, well, I don't want to know where he lives, but where is he from? And Maurice says, he's from Laura Marion High School. And Harold Katz looks at him with this look of surprise saying, huh? And then Maurice goes on to tell him that he's Joe Bryant's son. So even, you know, the guy that was the owner of the team was very, very surprised at how skilled Kobe was at that time. Kobe wasn't the only Lower Marion player competing in those scrimmages. Emery Dabney, a talented point guard from West Philadelphia who had played summer ball with Kobe and the Aces, was transferring into Lower Marion for his sophomore year. John Lucas had seen him play and invited him to the workouts too. It was crazy. I remember the first couple days, I was nervous. It was very surreal, to be honest, because like, as a 15-year-old myself, and you playing with these guys at an NBA, it was surreal. But then after the first couple workouts, you're like, okay, like 
I'm used to playing with these guys. And Who are some of the guys in the gym? Richard Dumas, Vernon Maxwell, Jerry Stackhouse, a guy that played in North Carolina named Donovan Williams. Some pretty good players. Uh, some uh, older NBA guy. I remember Willie Burton. I don't know if you remember that name. Played for the Sixers back in the day. It was some really good players. And Kobe, right away, didn't care who they were. He didn't care what they had done before. He was trying to test to see how good he was. So he was going right at all those guys. And that's how kind of the rivalry between him and Drake Stockhouse kind of started. Ah, yes, Jerry Stackhouse. When you hear anyone talk about Kobe's workouts in the summer of 95, you hear about Jerry Stackhouse. He had been a high school phenom himself just a few years earlier, and he'd become a human highlight reel during his time at North Carolina. The Sixers had taken Stackhouse with the third overall pick in the 1995 NBA draft. At North Carolina, he'd been Sports Illustrated's National Player of the Year and had taken the Tar Heels to the Final Four. He was supposed to be the Sixers' savior. Stackhouse was playing in those summer scrimmages and pickup games too, and you would have thought he would dominate them, and Kobe. Except their battles on the court back then have taken on the aura of myth and legend ever since, in a way that has always put Stackhouse in Kobe's shadow. I say this, I watched those scrimmages, I watched those workouts, and you know, there were some days that Jerry would get the best of Kobe, and there were some days that Kobe would get the best of Jerry. But Kobe did it in a more spectacular fashion, right? So I witnessed one day we were scrimmaging at Episcopal, and Kobe and Jerry were going head-to-head with each other, as they did, and Maurice Cheeks and I were standing there watching. And if I'm not mistaken, Jerry Stackhouse was the second pick that year? Third. He was the third pick. So Maurice Cheeks looks at me, and he says, if Jerry Stackhouse is number three, Kobe has to be 3A. Kobe's friend Jeremy Treatman, who was about to go from covering him to coaching him, went to two of those scrimmages. Listen to his voice as he tells me his impressions of Kobe from those games. Not at all. And he wasn't backing down anybody. He, he, he had a boldness about him. The thing that was so cool was when Joe Bryant called me and said, I don't even need to go. Sean Bradley calls the house and says, I'll pick you up at 7. They were picking him up. They wanted him to come. <laughs> He seemed a little young, but he also seemed like he belonged. It just was like, he's 16 and he's playing with 27-year-old NBA players. It was it was kind of crazy, but I was not surprised that he held his own. I was not surprised that he gave Stackhouse all he could handle. Stackhouse did not take kindly to these comparisons to Kobe. He still doesn't. He's now the head men's basketball coach at Vanderbilt University. 
And when I reached out to him in Vanderbilt's sports information office to see if he would speak to me for my book about Kobe, he declined. And he kind of has a point. By the time the Sixers drafted him, he'd already been compared to Michael Jordan, mostly because both of them had gone to North Carolina and were high-flying acrobats when they had the basketball in their hands and a chance to dunk it. But Michael and Kobe were guards, straight-up shooting guards. Stackhouse wasn't. Stackhouse had played power forward in high school and at North Carolina. He had never played guard in his life until the Sixers drafted him. He wasn't used to chasing smaller, quicker players around screens or squaring up for 20-foot jump shots. He and Kobe had different sets of skills and were different players. And people thought the teenager was better? It was a total no-win situation for Stackhouse. If he was better than Kobe, well, he should be. Kobe was just a high school kid. And if Kobe outplayed him, what did that say about the guy who was supposed to be the Sixers franchise player? His frustration was growing with every scrimmage. Here's Emery Dabney again. Um, and at one point, they um, Stackhouse started fouling them hard. They almost got into it. They, you know, Stackhouse grabbed them, and we had to kind of break them those two up. He was relentless because, like I said, for a guy in high school who's not even is going at the number one overall pick, like going at him relentlessly was kind of crazy. But honestly, Vernon Maxwell, I don't know if you remember, at least called Mad Max. He he's the one that really instigated it because. Oh, I remember it was me, him, and Kobe were on the same team. I forget who the other two players were, but every time he gave Kobe the ball and Stackhouse was guarding him, he would just go, kill him, kill him, At, like for the whole the whole possession. And it was like no one else would touch the ball, and Vernon Max would come down and give him the ball, tell him to kill him. So after a while, you know, Stackhouse wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> no, Stackhouse wasn't happy, but Kobe had to be elated. Here he was, holding his own against NBA players, and he was just turning 17 that August. And often, he was more than holding his own. In fact, to put it bluntly, Kobe was showing that he already had surpassed some of them when it came to the intangibles that were necessary to succeed in the league. When I was talking to Mo Howard about those games, he said something about Kobe that has stuck in my memory ever since. It captured perfectly the player Kobe was then and the player he would become. What I saw was a unique work pick unlike any of the other pros and college players who participated in those open runs. Uh, he was the, the first one there every day. He was the last one to leave every day. Every day without fail. I just couldn't believe that he was that highly skilled, like playing against pro guys. He was so highly skilled and motivated that, you know, I, I, I was a little surprised. Kobe's workouts didn't involve just basketball either. He and Dabney would run on the track at St. Joseph's University too, before heading to the field house to play. A few days that summer, the field house was closed, so the NBA guys would be playing at the gym at Episcopal Academy, which was right across the street. Mind you, it's August, and we would get in the car, and we would drive uh, over to Episcopal, you know, probably not even a two-minute drive. So after the workouts, you know, I get in the car with Kobe, and it's, uh, it's 95 degrees outside, and he pulls the windows up, and he turns the heat on. And I'm like, Kobe, like, what are you doing? I'm going to have a heart attack, and I can't, what are you doing? 
Like I'm about to go play in the stack house. I gotta stay warm. I don't want to cool down before before I play. I'm like, All right, what do you? I, I can't do this. I'm having a heart attack. And he stops at the light. And he goes, Well, you can get out. Kobe let him crack the window a little, but I can't think of a better metaphor for who Kobe Bryant was then and where he thought, no, where he knew he was going. If you're with me, if you believe in me, if you're willing to sacrifice like I am, you can come along for the ride. If you're not, you can get out. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, this is Mike Sealski, host and writer of I Am Kobe. This podcast project came out of my work on a related book called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. If you want to explore other parts of Kobe's story, check out The Rise. It's not just a book version of the podcast. I dive deeper into some of the topics covered in this series and even some that we don't cover at all. Kobe's upbringing, his family, his identity, his effect on his friends and teammates, his journey into the NBA, and his earliest days with the Lakers. The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality is out now. Just head over to theriseofkobebook.com and you can buy it from any of your favorite retailers. That's theriseofkobebook.com. Thanks. When Kobe wasn't running full court with Jerry Stackhouse and the rest of those guys in those uber-intense pickup games, he was traveling around the United States on his amateur athletic union teams, better known as the AAU circuit. He was up and down the East Coast, Las Vegas, all over, going to camps, playing in tournaments with other big-time college recruits. Of course, given his plans and goals, it might not be right to call him a recruit. The highlight of that summer of 95 was in early July in Teaneck, New Jersey, at the prestigious ABCD camp, which was sponsored by Adidas and sneaker mogul Sonny Vaccaro. Vaccaro had founded ABCD in 1984. The camp gathered the highest ranked high school players in the country in one place. It was considered the marquee event of the summer in high school hoops. Greg Downer and Mike Egan, Kobe's coaches at Lower Marion, went up there to see him play. Here's Egan. He was just phenomenal there. He was... Um, and where a lot of the kids, this is where his maturity really came into play, where a lot of these guys were looking at it as um, fun and showboating and who, you know, how many guys can I meet? And he was there because at that point, he was considered a top five player in the country. And Tim Thomas, Lester Earl, um, Jermaine O'Neal, and sometimes Shaheen Holloway was even a little higher than him. 
And Kobe went up there, never said this to us, we know he went up there with a mission. He wants to come out of there being called the number one player in the country. And at the end of that week, he was the consensus number one player in the country. Kobe had scored 1080 out of a possible 1600 on his SATs. He was a very good student. He had grown particularly close to his 10th grade English teacher, Jean Mastriano. In fact, she became an intellectual mentor to him. The two of them remained in touch throughout his life. Mastriano spent a lot of time in her class delving into the concept of the hero's journey. Her students watched Star Wars in class, for example, to understand the symbolism behind Luke Skywalker's path to becoming a Jedi. They read Joseph Campbell's famous book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Mastriano told me that Kobe loved it all. One of the things that he really soaked up was the hero's journey, which is something I talked about at the beginning of the year, throughout the year, at the end of the year. It kind of followed the arc of the whole year. The whole idea that you're going into an unknown here and you need to take risks. We all need to take risks. And if you don't take risks, then you're not going to have an experience. It's going to be exhilarating. You need to scare yourself. Do you think he saw himself on that kind of hero's journey? Absolutely. He believed in his number one dream, which was that he was going to realize his life as a, a basketball player and that he was going to go in that direction. He was convinced he was going to do that. How could he be so sure, though, especially at such an early stage of his life? Where did that confidence come from? I think there's a clue in something Mastriano told me. I asked her what Kobe was like in class, how he carried himself, how he acted and behaved. You know the stereotype of the high school jock. Doesn't care much about his grades, doesn't need to worry about his homework, because he's going to get a football scholarship or a basketball scholarship or a swimming scholarship. That wasn't Kobe. He had this relentless curiosity, and he challenged Mastriano just like she would challenge him, in a good way, not in a bad way. He was confident that he could go back and forth with her, that because of his life experiences and the path he was on, he already existed on her level, intellectually and professionally. And she, in turn, appreciated that quality in him. He wasn't much of a talker, but the energy that he exuded was palpable. The sense I have when I look back on him, somebody wouldn't hesitate to say, why are we learning this? Not in a terribly antagonistic way, but like, this is just not doing a thing for me. I don't see where this is going. Could you please justify it? And I love that. I love the kid who's edgy, who's argumentative. It's just such a wonderful, I mean, just so much better than Belcher. Um, there was no question that Kobe could get into any college he wanted. But it was becoming obvious to everyone around him how his focus was narrowing to just one thing, basketball. Uh, you know, and then his, Here's Mike the Egan again. The way he again. worked at things so much. His junior year, he was a student. He was still trying to get his grades up and his SATs up and make sure there was no issues with college, which there would not have been anyway. But every day he got better, and every day he, he, we saw something from him that we'd be lying if we said we knew he be, would be an NBA superstar as a junior. But then between his junior and senior year, that's when his game really elevated. And when he came back as a senior, it was all basketball. And then we started looking at each other and say, this kid's gonna be really, really something. 
The expectations for Lower Merion's basketball team, Kobe's senior year, were just about as high as the expectations for its star player. Anything less than a district championship or a state championship, or both, would be considered a disappointment. But in an early season test at Kobe's old stomping grounds from the summer, the St. Joe's Fieldhouse, the Aces got stomped by St. Anthony of Jersey City. St. Anthony was one of the two or three best high school teams in the country, maybe the best, and they were coached by the great Bob Hurley, a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. This clip from CBS explains both Hurley's accolades and his dedication to the program. With an unyielding determination, Come on, catch the ball! And by relentlessly striving for perfection, Get on the floor! Bob Hurley has built the basketball program at St. Anthony's High School into a perennial powerhouse. And we're getting ready for the state tournament. We can't go down and just run nothing. Lower Marion was never really in the game against St. Anthony. They lost by 15 points, 62-47. And Kobe had 28 of those 47 points. A quarter century later, Hurley still remembers that game and Kobe's performance in it very well. He really he had no he had no help for the other players. We were able to cheat off them and right. uh, you know help against him. And then after the game, he come over to me and asked if we could talk. Huh. And we sat down and sat down in the bleachers at St. Joe's, and he talked about what things I think he needed to do to become a better player. And I remember talking to him about how the first half had ended. With a, we had stolen the ball from him, and we scored to end the half, and that put us up one. And he kind of put his chin down and kind of walked off the court. And the second half started, and the first four minutes of the second half, he wasn't dominant like he could be. And I talked to him about his uh, reaction to that mistake and how, how important erasing that mistake would be with the way he would play early in the second half of the game. Totally understood, uh, thanked me so much for it, and then, uh, you know, we parted ways. But, uh, you know, he just was mature beyond his years. But we played against unbelievable players over the years. You know, he's the best player we ever played against. You know, we, he averaged over 30 a game. When people got 30 against St. Anthony's, they should have got a trophy. That's no minor compliment from a coach like Bob Hurley. And it was pretty revealing that Kobe would seize the opportunity to sit down with Hurley, to pick his brain. Kobe didn't see Hurley as an opposing coach. He saw him as a resource. It was like Kobe was saying to himself, losing to St. Anthony hurts, but I can get better in the long run because of it. An even bigger test for Kobe and Lower Marion came after the St. Anthony loss. The last week of December 1995, the team flew down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the Beach Ball Classic. Now, usually, when you think of Myrtle Beach, you think of golf courses. But the Beach Ball Classic was a major event in high school basketball, an eight-team tournament that featured some of the best players in America. One of them was Lester Earl, a six-foot-eight jumping jack who ended up playing at LSU and Kansas. Another was Mike Bibby, a point guard who was the second pick in the NBA draft in 1998 and ended up playing in the league for 14 years. Here's Scott County high school coach Billy Hicks talking about the Beach Ball Classic in 2014. 
I tell you, every time that we're, we get a chance to play here, we really feel blessed because, you know, there's a lot of great tournaments in, in America, high school tournaments, but, you know, nothing comes close to beach ball. But the biggest star at the 1995 Classic wasn't Lester Earl or Mike Bibby. It was Kobe. The Aces played three games in the tournament, and there were so many people flocking to Kobe that it was difficult for him to get to his family after each game. A couple of times, I started just pulling them back in the, in the back room, in the locker room, started talking to them then, because I think it's unfair for my family to wait. I saw all these autographs. I think, I think that's unfair. But... You know, I start poor, I start wising up. I tell them to come in the sack. So I can talk to him there. I came out of the locker room and I just saw all these people standing there. I'm like, oh my lord. They're all ages too, right? You know, teenagers, teenage boys, teenage girls, old man. It was kinda of, kinda of crazy. But um, the escort just gave me a seat. <laughs> so you know, you can sit down and sign them if you want to. Or you don't have to sign them at all. So sure I sit down, I don't have nothing to do. <laughs> I just sit down and sign all the autographs, huh? He sounds like he's already used to all this attention, like this is just par for the course for him. Yes, of course, people are going to want my autograph. Well, it's a little unfair, but hey, that's the price of fame. It's one of the things that always strikes me about listening to these tapes of Kobe. He never seems overwhelmed by any of this. The attention, the pressure, the expectations, none of it. It was like this was a business trip, like this is what he was supposed to be doing with his life. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Away from the convention center, Kobe stayed in his room a lot on the trip. Sleeping, resting, thinking. He went out a few times at night with friends, but not yeah, that much. Well, uh, I know that in the NBA, you're going to have options like that. You're either going to go out, uh, go swimming as an example, uh, go partying, go play video games, uh, things like that. And for some people, that may be relaxing. I know Michael Joy likes to play golf for a game, magic, listen to music. I just like to sleep. <laughs> And I feel that I play very well when I'm rested. I, I got my legs under me and I can run all day. So I just relax, turn the TV off, and just slept. And really, I enjoy thinking. I was thinking about the game. I was thinking about the moves I was going to make, how I was going to attack the team. I was going to come out shooting, come out passing, type moves I was going to make. Because, you see, every game seems different for me. One game I'll come out and I feel like crossover move feels the best. And I feel maybe it's the pull-up jump shot or fade away. Three. So I really got focused and tried to think and say, well, how do I feel now? And I really thought about the game a lot. And I've also, I also thought about the future.
It was no wonder so many people wanted Kobe's autograph. In Lower Marion's first game at the Beach Ball Classic, a victory over a school from Ohio, he scored 43 points. It was a spectacular performance, and Kobe was on his way to another one in the Aces' next game. They were rolling against Jenks High School from Oklahoma, and Kobe had 31 points when he made one bad decision. And everything about the game and Lower Marion's season um, changed. So I think we're up like 10, 12, and he just prowled in one against four, and uh, he just he made a rare, really bad decision. And the guy drew an off, they, they drew the offensive foul, and he sat right next to me on the bench. Game went into overtime. We might have lost 16 to 2 in the overtime. I don't know exactly what it was. I think it was 17 2. 17 to 2. I was close. Watching his teammates melt down in overtime, Kobe kept muttering the same phrase over and over again. Just no goddamn independence. No goddamn independence. He skipped. Mike Egan described Kobe's reaction to the loss to me. It was after that game, one of the few times I saw Kobe really, really lose his temper. Um, where we sat in the locker room and, and um, the, you know, I said something again, guys, you, you have to get better. You're not as good as you think you are. And the other coaches all said similar things. And Greg said, does anyone on the team have anything to say? And Kobe absolutely went off screaming, yelling. You can't back down. He used foul language. He kept saying, you can't back down. You can't back down. You can't have him back down. Later that night, Greg Downer gathered the entire team in his hotel room and delivered a speech calling out each of the players, including Kobe. It sounds weird. What could he possibly have complained about with respect to Kobe? But according to treatment, he found like, something. You gotta understand the pressure your teammates are feeling too, playing with you, and you gotta bring the best out of them, and you've gotta trust in them too. This, to me, is an interesting moment in Kobe's development. All his life, when it comes to basketball, the person he has listened to most is his father. Joe has been the biggest influence on him. But now, Greg Downer is challenging him in a way he's never been challenged before. Downer isn't saying, Kobe, you have to make yourself better. He's saying, Kobe, you have to make your teammates better. As we know from the rest of Kobe's career, that wasn't necessarily the easiest thing for him to do. But Downer is telling him, we won't win if you don't do it. The approach worked right away. Inspired by Downer's speech, the Aces went out and won their third and final game in the tournament. Kobe scored 43 and points in that one, too. And there's the dunk contest. Tell me the dunk the contest dunk. capped the beach ball classic. It was the last event, and Kobe desperately wanted to participate. There was one problem, though. Sometime during the tournament, he had injured his right wrist. It hadn't hurt badly enough that he couldn't play in the games, but much of his arm was wrapped in a big white bandage, like his arm belonged to a mummy. Tell me about the dunk contest. Well, there's all kinds of theories, conspiracy theories, on why Kobe's wrist was hurting him. Greg's beliefs to this day was from signing autographs. I thought he got hurt, but I, I can't remember. It was probably a combination. Lester Earl was going to be Kobe's biggest rival in the dunk contest, if Kobe could actually compete. Sharia and Shea, Kobe's sisters, didn't want him to. They thought it was too risky. And I just remember sisters pounding the door and pleading with Kobe, you're not dunking, you're not dunking. And I'm like, Kobe, you don't need to do this. I remember saying, like, it's like, I got this. What are you kidding? Because I'm dunking. 
Now we've seen him dunk in a game. We've seen him dunk in a practice, but we've never like seen him dunk. No, no, Greg had no, nobody had seen. Him. This contest starts, and this Lester Earl's doing shit that I, I've never seen from NBA players. And Cody matches him. The, the harder Lester Earl makes something, because he was going first, then Kobe would do it. For his last dunk, Earl jumped over a ball rack. Each of the judges gave him a perfect 10. Technically, the best Kobe could do was tie him, no matter how good his final dunk was. Didn't matter. He asked three of his Lower Marion teammates to stand in the lane, just in front of the basket, and duck their heads. And I remember looking at his sister's face. I was like, don't do it, don't do it. And he just jumped right over him, dunked, and he went... So yeah, technically, the contest was a tie. But everyone there in the Myrtle Beach Convention Center that night knew who had really won. I'm pretty sure he saw me. He winked. I mean, that was just magic. I mean, like, God, this guy just can live up to the hype on anything. It's like, like, like he was hurt. He had no business dunking, and he just goes and has a performance of a lifetime. And then that's why when I when I knew the very next year when he entered in the. Uh, in the dunk contest as a rookie in the NBA, I said, oh, he's got this. I didn't even need to watch. I knew he was going to win it. As Jeremy and I sat by the bay on Long Beach Island and talked about Kobe almost 25 years later, a few hundred yards away, at a house two doors down, three kids were playing in a small swimming pool. You probably heard their voices in the background while Jeremy was talking. They were playing right when we were talking about Kobe and Myrtle Beach. Kobe with the NBA plans. Kobe flying over his teammates, despite a sore wrist, to throw down an incredible dunk. Those voices were a nice reminder of the person Jeremy and I were talking about. We were talking about Kobe Bryant before he had played his first game with the Lakers, before he'd even met Shaquille O'Neal or Phil Jackson or Pau Gasol, before he'd won five NBA championships and been a league MVP, before the battles and controversies with Shaq and Phil, before he had become a husband and a father, before Eagle Colorado, before he had even accomplished everything he was going to accomplish in high school. We were talking about Kobe Bryant when he was just 17 years old. We were talking about a kid In the next episode, I'm going to tell you the story of how that kid pulled off one of his greatest feats as a high school basketball star. I kind of figured a message. So, hey, man, we're having a championship game. Uh, How come we're playing like this? Uh, We got to step it up another notch. We knew that the third quarter is our time. Every big game, we step it up in the third quarter. So we said, hey, we're going to do it. We got to do it now. That's next week on I Am Kobe. I Am Kobe is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Mike Sealski. It's produced by Jacob Bronstein and directed by Mark Francis. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Stephen Tompkins is our production assistant. Our theme music is Create Yourself by Grover Brown, featuring Justin Starling. Find Create Yourself wherever you stream music. 
Music supervisor is Scott Velasquez for Frisan Sync. Executive producers are Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Join the conversation about I Am Kobe on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at DiversionPods. Thanks to Oren Rosenbaum, Susan Canavan, and Jeremy Treatment. Hey, look, I rise before the sun. They don't understand when I say the grind is fun. Never clock out even when my work is done. If they trying to block me, I might hurt someone. Through the blood, sweat, and tears, we persevere. Stay killing it. Let it keep the hearses near. If they don't believe in themselves, they revert to fear. Now the champ is here, so I'm telling them, that's my ambition. The reason why my work's so damn different. To the negatives, I can listen. See me at the top, you can listen. I'ma mold the clay like cash is. See, I pay my dues plus taxes. Gotta work ethic and grind ahead of its time. If someone say that they made you, tell them you create yourself. Oh, the best you finna watch us, but it's about that time. You gotta stay clocked in brick by brick. We create ourselves. Watch me, watch me, create myself. Shot clock, time's up, create yourself. Nice, go hard, create yourself. Gotta learn from the great minds. No, we ain't lying, tell them that it's game time. This talent wasn't given, it was made. The future, anytime I can change. Better tell them that I made it back home. As I walk through the halls of the fame, I came from the valley of the shadow of death. Waiting for a silver spoon, don't hold your breath. Same town, same dream, but I did it with less. I know who I'm meant to be, so there's nothing to guess. Yeah, there's nothing to guess. It's our time, tell them we up next We don't got any regrets I did it with my two hands and we never forget That's my ambition The reason why my work's so damn different To the negatives I can't listen See me at the top, you can't listen For real Rebuild, reshape Giving your all, you got to risk take Do it now and I'm saying why wait Someone say that they made you Tell them you create yourself oh, The best you finna watch Us but it's about that time You gotta stay clocked in Break by break We create ourselves Watch me Watch me Create myself Shot clock Time's up Create yourself Lay nice Go hard Create yourself Gotta learn from the great minds No, we ain't lying Tell them that it's game time Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.